Well, we return to 1 Corinthians. We're uh, in the last bit of chapter 3 this morning. So we're going to be in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 18 through the end of the chapter, verse 23. You know, too often, Christians shortchange themselves. Instead of trusting God and wisely enjoying all that He has afforded for us in Christ, so many times we content ourselves with mere table scraps, as it were. Instead of delighting in the sumptuous meal of blessings in Christ, we wait for the soggy biscuits of the doggy bag. The part of the banquet Paul is specifically talking about here in this text is the church leaders that God had given to the Corinthians. They had been fighting, the church that is, had been fighting over who was the best speaker. The one that men should give their allegiance to. Who was the guy? And they had caused factions in the church. Fractured its unity by pitting one leader against the other, and so pitting themselves against others in the church depending on who they aligned with. This isn't the first time we've heard this, right? Uh, Paul raised it back in chapter 1 and verse 10 for the first time. And in fact, we're in a very long segment of the book that's an argument against that sort of behavior. There, in chapter 1, he appealed to the Corinthians to seek unity rather than such harmful divisions. That was his emphasis there. After all the infighting and jealousy that such divisions foster clearly demonstrates worldly thinking that harms the church. Recall Paul's rebuke from the beginning, beginning of this chapter, in chapter 3 and verse 3. While there's jealousy and strife among you, are you not of the flesh? And behaving only in a human way? For when one says, I follow Paul, and another, I follow Apollos, are you not being merely human? Well, as we open to our text, Paul continues in this argument. Paul now warns his friends, though, about the folly of this divisiveness in a particular way. This time, he gives another reason to abandon that sort of thinking, that sort of behavior. And it's this. He says to him, you're sacrificing the abundance of God's blessings by creating these divisions. He urged them not to leave the banquet the Lord had provided them for table scraps. I've called this sermon, Eat, Christian, Eat! You get the sense of what I'm trying to push you towards, or rather, what I hope the text is pushing you towards. And let's turn to it now. 1 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 18. Imagine God speaking to you directly, for that's what he's doing here. Let no one deceive himself. If anyone among you thinks that he is wise in this age, let him become a fool that he may become wise. For the wisdom of this world is folly with God. For it is written, he catches the wise in their craftiness. And again, the Lord knows the thoughts of the wise that they are futile. 
So let no one boast in men, for all things are yours, whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas or the world or life or death or the present or the future, all are yours, and you are Christ's, and Christ is God's. It's a short text, but wow, there's a lot here. The message, I believe, from this text is this. Wise men enjoy the whole banquet of God's blessings. That's what wise people do. They enjoy the the whole banquet of the blessings that God sets before his people. Why would someone exchange a life of fullness, of great joy in his manifold blessings for one of mere subsistence? Why would someone forego abundant provisions from the Father in order to just squeak by in their Christian life? Why do you and I do that so often? Think about the most lavish dinner you've ever attended. Can you imagine one? Can you think back to one? Maybe some big work affair, a grand wedding, somebody's 50th anniversary, something like that. Can you remember one of those events where there was almost too much to choose what you might put on your plate? Let those savory meats in your your imagination, your recollection right now, and the delicious pastas and the multitudes of salads and vegetables and sauces and breads, not to mention the appetizers and, and the endless desserts, let all of them represent what God offers you in Christ. The great meal of blessings that he sets before you. Why would you only scoop some corn on your plate and return to your table? Why would you grab a roll and think, this is all I really need? Well, that's what the Corinthians were doing when they said, I follow not Paul or Cephas, but rather Apollos. And it's what we do when we settle for small portions of God's blessings and ignoring the great vastness of what he gives us. The Spirit of God provides us with keen insight here into why we do such things. Why we would forego all of those blessings. First, we foolishly think we know better than the master of the feast. That keeps us from all the blessings. When we think we know better, we know better than the one that has made this meal. Right? And second, we fundamentally misunderstand the meal that's set before us sometimes. So sometimes... We foolishly think we know better than the master of the feast, and and yet other times we misunderstand the meal altogether that's in front of us. Foolish opposition to the master and a fundamental misunderstanding of the meal. That's what we need to be warned of this morning. So so we don't live these stunted lives in, in, in our Christian walk. Wise men enjoy the whole banquet of God's blessings, but foolishly opposing the master... And fundamentally misunderstanding the meal will keep us from enjoying those blessings. It's a timely and penetrating uh, warning for all of us today. If we humble ourselves before God's word, that is. Let's take these two warnings one at a time. Foolishly opposing the master, first of all. Foolishly opposing him will keep you from enjoying all his blessings. We see that in verses 18 through the first half of verse 21. Look at, look at the second half of 18 to be reminded of a piece of it. If anyone among you thinks that he is wise in this age, 
Let him become a fool that he may become wise. Do you see what Paul is saying here? You have to use air quotes here and there to kind of follow, right? He says there is only one way to be truly wise, and that's to side with God. Not to get your wisdom from out here in the world, not to import your ways of thinking from the workplace or your unsaved friends or somebody that, that hates Jesus but's got some really good advice for you, right? There's, there's, there's only one way to be truly wise, and that's to side with God, to align your thinking with God's thinking. The apostle has already made this point with regard to salvation, He's already made this very point with regard to salvation, with how somebody comes to Christ. In chapter 1 and verse 18, we read that the word of the cross is folly to the world. It's foolishness to, to the world. That is, they think it's, 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 it's silly and stupid and won't save anyone. However, the world's so-called wisdom is actually the ultimate foolishness, isn't it? For rejecting true wisdom found in Christ leads to death and judgment for sinners. When it comes to salvation, there are two views, and they are in direct opposition to each other. Paul's already, already talked about this. I'm recapping it for you to, so that you will remember what he's, he's already made this argument with regard to salvation. Now he's going to make it to, to, with, with regard to the Christian life. Okay, so track with me for a minute here. When it comes to salvation, we, there are these, these two views, and they are against each other. And the truly wise side with God. The truly wise side with God. For only the preaching of the cross, which the world rejects as silly and foolish, only the preaching of the cross saves those who believe. Chapter 1 and verse 21 says that very thing. So again, we have seen this argument with respect to salvation, right? There's these two kind of paths. There's God's wisdom that actually saves, and there's the world's wisdom that rejects everything having to do with Christ crucified, and that leads to death and judgment. And now the same principles apply to the growth of the church. Don't forget our context, right? Paul has just said, hey, grow up. I can't talk to you like mature Christians, you're babies. I have to give you little sips of milk and not the meat of the word. Remember? That's right before now. So what do you think he's going to talk about now? Now he's going to talk about the growth of the church. right? And so he's applying that same argument that he made with regard to salvation now to the growth of the church. Now by growth, I, I don't mean numerical growth. Right? I don't mean like, let's put more bodies in seats, not that kind of growth. By growth, I mean the church growing spiritually. Growing into enjoying all that God has for his people in Jesus. That kind of growing. God means for his children to grow and to mature into, these, into those worthy of his name. Into a people that reflect the love of Christ in the world. And for the good and the flourishing of the church, there's only one wise way forward to enjoy the whole banquet of God's blessings, which includes enjoying and benefiting from the various leaders in the church that God provides. 
God's wisdom and man's wisdom are opposed to each other on this point also. The world values leaders with good looks and charisma and impressive speaking gifts. It was particularly so in Corinth. The world tells us we should latch ourselves on to such men and exalt them as our best hope for success while discarding the rest, causing these little splinter groups in the church. Of course, this necessitates a spirit of competition and pride and fracturing the church rather than building it up in love. See this destructive path as wisdom is fooling yourself. See how Paul begins this argument? What's the first thing he says? Let no one deceive himself. It's like saying the only thing we need for this feast is the mashed potatoes. Maybe you like mashed potatoes. It's actually like saying, it's actually worse than that. It's like saying all we need is the bowl that the mashed potatoes come in. And saying, see, you just need this bowl. No, this, this kind of worldly wisdom, this kind of boasting in one little piece, this boasting in men particularly, verse 21, it's actually foolishness. It brings harm rather than good to the temple of God's people. You see, everything and everyone God gives us that helps us grow in the understanding of Christ's death and its application to our everyday lives, everything and everyone, all of it is part of the lavish banquet table for us to enjoy. We've got to be really careful not to, not to be part of a a movement that would divide the church into little cliques and, and groups that are against each other. Even the most effective teachers of the word are to be seen as one of many servants given to the church. All are to work together. Remember what Paul said back in verses 8 and 9, he who plants and he who waters are one. And, and, and then just a, a little bit later he says, we are God's fellow workers. We're all on the team. We're all in the family together. All of us. Or if you prefer Paul's words to the Ephesians, Ephesians 4.16, when each part is working properly, it makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. It doesn't say like, hey, let's just, you know, this isn't survival of the fittest. Let's, let's find the people that are the flashiest and strongest and just latch onto them and leave all the rest. That's not what Christ did for us, is it? He came and got the nobodies, the weak people, the people that had no hope in this world. So this worldly wisdom is in fact against the, the gospel of Jesus. And so the wise way to enjoy God's banquet of blessings is to value all leaders that God gives us, all leaders particularly that pattern their leadership after the Savior. Every humble servant who guards the gospel and pours themselves out for others are to be embraced by all. This is counterintuitive, counterintuitive, of course. We like to root for one against the other in sports and everything, right? You know, we're a Wolverine or we're a Spartan or we're a whatever, right? And we, we like that spirit of competition and it can be fun and, and healthy, but... When, it, when it's applied to the gifts in the church, it's just a, a wicked root 
of so-called wisdom, but that is actually the, the, the just utter folly. And so, Paul says, if, if we want to be really wise, we got to be fools to the, to the world. You see that in verse 16 there? Become a fool that you may become wise. Again, you have to kind of track with these words, right? If you think you're wise in the world's way of thinking, right, and dividing up and, and, and the spirit of competition and, and all these factions and stuff, what you need to do is be foolish in the world's way of thinking and be wise truly. That's the argument he makes here. And if you do, it'll grow the church. It'll mature the church. But for those who oppose God's wisdom, who oppose the master of the feast, if you will, such thinking will be exposed as pointless and powerless. Now, Christians do this too. This is not just for, you know, false teachers or something like that. We do this. You must know. Have you ever felt like us versus them in the church in any way? That's what this is. Paul quotes two Old Testament passages to illustrate that this is a certainty, that God will expose the wisdom of the world as pointless and powerless. Those that say, I know better than the master of the feast. I'll make my own meal and it's just going to be this. Right? God will show the, the utter folly of that. And he does so by quoting these two Old Testament passages. First, he quotes Job 5.13. That was from the text I had Carolyn read just a little bit ago. Verse 19, the second half, quotes this little bit of Job. He catches the wise in their craftiness. He catches the wise in their craftiness. The worldly approach of bringing divisions into the church is crafty. Now that's a different word than wise, isn't it? It's related, of course. This, this brand of thinking is actually more of a cruel trick. It is perhaps even an allusion to what the serpent did in the garden. It is evil opposition to God's beautiful plans for his people. And he will seize such evil. He won't let it keep going. He will expose it as such, as evil and folly. He will catch them, seize them. He will put a stop to it. Paul also quotes Psalm 94 and verse 11, so that the Corinthians will abandon boasting in men. God sees such useless works and will expose them in the end. This brand of thinking, this so-called wisdom of the world to sort of latch onto one person or part of the church to the exclusion of the others, it's evil opposition to God and his plans for the church. And in the end, it's powerless and pointless. Friends, we need to fight against any efforts to divide us, to break us up into little factions. This is the evil of the world sneaking into the church, turning over the tables of God's banquet of blessings. You have to guard yourself against participating in whisper campaigns and, and, and engaging in a spirit of competition, uh, as I said, an us-versus-them kind of thinking. Stand firm in God's wisdom. Be a fool <laughs> with, in, in the world's eyes, but be wise in God's eyes at this point. Guard His church. 
Guard the blessings He sets before us. Enjoy them all. Don't let anyone lead you to see only one end of the table. Wise men enjoy the whole banquet of God's blessings. Foolishly opposing the Master will keep you from them. I mean, think about it. Think about all the, all the resources in people that God has given you. Not just pastors, but teachers and community group leaders and mentors and, 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 and just mature, older Christians that pour into you. You could, you could turn that into something rotten by saying, well, this is the only one that really speaks my language and I'm going to discard the rest. And then you start looking at the people that latch on to others and now we're not unified at all. You see my point? You see Paul's point here? Stand firm in God's wisdom. Guard the blessings. Enjoy them all. Don't let anyone lead you to only see that this little part here is really for you. We have to be wise. We have to enjoy everything that God gives us here. Foolishly opposing Him will keep you from His blessings. You'll live beggarly instead of like royalty. That's, I mean, He has given us such riches, friends. Opposing the Master, thinking you know better, that'll keep you from those blessings. But it's not the only thing. So will fundamentally misunderstanding the meal. See that in the second half of verse 21 through the end. Look at 21, the second half there. It's a mind-blowing statement. Do you see it? You soaking it up? Everything is yours. That's a pretty big statement, isn't it? Christian, everything is yours. Everything. Universal language, without exception. All that you know is yours. What does he mean there? Well, whatever he means is big. And if we don't grasp this profound truth, we will absolutely shortchange ourselves. We will squander all that God has provided for us in Christ. God is not stingy with his kingdom resources. He doesn't like just put little snacks out for his children. He doesn't withhold any good thing from us so that we might thrive as his people in this world. But we often, we often have a small view of what he gives to us. We can do that, can't we? Looking down at our shoes and kind of, man, we've got so little to work with here. I remember going to a wedding of a family friend years ago. And... Uh, when I asked you to think of like a big feast, this is the one that comes into my mind because this was like, wow. This is the biggest spread I'd ever seen. It was one of those, it was one of those like you're halfway down the banquet table and you're like, I have made a grave error. I have loaded up on the front end of this spread and there's a lot more I could have gotten that I would have liked even better maybe and there's no more room now. You ever done that? That's the place I was in. But that's not even the worst of it. That's not even the worst of it. Sometime later in the night, 
I learned just from overhearing some people and looking at desserts that they had that there was a whole nother room full of desserts that I had, and now I'm full. I didn't know there was like this endless pies and ice cream things and cookies and whatever. And I'm like, well, I got no, nowhere to put that now. I've really botched it, right? And, 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 and the, 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 you know, what I'm trying to illustrate here, it's a poor illustration, but we can be like that when we think of what God blesses us with. We can latch on to one ministry as the only one anyone should be concerned with. That's my thing, and everybody should just latch on to that thing. You ever, you ever do that? You ever, you ever like hold on to your ministry and it's like, hey, everybody, this is the thing you need to be all excited about, not your thing, this thing. We can do that. Like it's the only thing God's doing in the church. We can value just one or two friends in the church to the exclusion of others. You do that? You gravitate just, just to that one or two friends and you got no interest in you know, meeting other people? If I quizzed you as to people's names in the church, could you tell me who they are? Who played the piano this morning? Who made the coffee this morning? Who is that person that asked that question in Sunday school? Do you know who she is? We ought to know each other in the church, right? We've got this, this resource of a family. We can do that. We can embrace some teachings of the Bible while seeing others as unimportant. Rachel brought that up this morning, right? We can pridefully keep our needs from others in the church thinking that they won't care for us or won't help us or they shouldn't be bothered at all in the first place. We can kind of keep our whole lives to ourselves, ignoring the blessing of prayers of the saints. We can see prayer as only asking God to meet our immediate needs and only physical ones at that and, and forget all that we need in our spiritual maturity, spiritual maturation. And yes, we can see only one man as our pastor or our teacher or our counselor. We can do these things. But that is so much less than the banquet of blessings God gives to us. Wise men enjoy the whole banquet of God's blessings. So be careful not to fundamentally misunderstand the meal before us. I mean, listen to the immensity of what God offers to those in Christ. Again, back to Ephesians, Ephesians 1 and verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. All of them. That's what God has blessed us with in Christ. All the spiritual blessings. All of them. The panoply of, we, we can't, if we started to name them, we wouldn't be able to name them. We'd forget most of them. So what are those blessings that Paul you know, speaks about in our text? What are, what are, what's on the banquet table for us, if you will? Well, first, the meal includes every leader God gives to us. Look at verse 22 there, right at the beginning. Whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas, right? that's right after the everything's yours. So it includes apostles. But not all those guys were apostles. I mean, Paul and Cephas was, but not Apollos. So it includes the guys that will come after the apostles that, that, that lead the church. 
It includes theologians that we read. It includes authors. It, it includes, you know, teachers in the church. I mentioned, like, wise mentors the, and, and, and just different people that, that benefit you in the church that the Spirit has gifted you with. Take advantage of all of them. Get to know all of the... I mean, soak it all up. What are you waiting for? Why starve yourself? You've got this, this, this feast of people that God has given you. Consider the wisdom of God in these gifts. Again, Ephesians 4.11, God gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, pastors, teachers. For what? To equip the saints for the work of the ministry. For building up the body of Christ until we attain to the unity of the faith. God's given us all these sort of leaders. What about Titus chapter 2? Older women, gift from the church, they are to teach what is good and so train the young women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled, pure, working at home, kind and submissive to their own husbands, that the word of God may not be reviled. God gives us people, resources in the church. Don't divide it up, friends. Don't you keep one leader from anybody. Don't, don't you, don't you look, look down on people for, for benefiting for, for, from another leader that you, that's not your cup of tea or something like that. Don't you do that. That's fundamentally misunderstanding the meal. Oh, friends, the banquet of blessings contained in the people of the church for you is so rich. Take advantage of all that you can. But as lavish as that is, and that's a lot, Right? I mean, I'm like, whew. It's not just the people in the church that he's given us. Look at the expansive blessings that Paul continues to list there. All things are yours, whether, you got all those people, then he says, whether the world or life or death or the present or the future, all are yours. He really means all. So let us not content ourselves with so little with all that God has given us. I mean, consider the world is yours. Jan, you ever think of that? The world is yours. I, that never occurs to me. I would never come up with that idea. And yet, it's God's wisdom for us. What does he mean there? Well, I think it's a pretty pregnant idea. Here's a few things. We don't take our cues from the world's fallen judgment we don't march to the world's selfish, divisive thinking. We will judge the world, in fact. It's not our judge. Let us not try to impress people who think our Savior's death offers no hope. Let's not fundamentally misunderstand things here. The world doesn't own us. It's the other way around. The world ought not to shape our thinking. It, it is ours to influence for Christ, not the other way. We are called to go into all the world and preach God's wisdom and the cross to it and to minister to the lowly and oppressed and needy in our land. The world is ours for Christ. Your ministry is big, friends. But it's also ours in terms of the vast resources it offers. I mean, our Father made this world. All the goodness in this, in, in this earth God made for our good. He owns all of it. I mean, think about medical advancements and, and secular government, the, the, the security they're supposed to provide. 
The limitless beauty of the great lakes or mountain ranges, the flowers and trees and the the cool breezes and soaring eagles and the stars in the heavens. All of it is for us to enjoy and to reflect on his greatness. So too are the marketplace of ideas and debates and the political process and the diversity of the peoples and cultures throughout the world. The world is ours, friends. God made it and gave it to us. It's our mission field. It's our, it's our, it, it's our place to enjoy and to delight in him because of it. But if that is not enough blessing for God's people, to have all of these you know, different kinds of leaders and people to help us and, and, and the world itself, if that's not enough, all of our lives and even our death is for our blessing too. We live as his image bearers and whatever days he gives us are, 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 are meant to be experiencing new mercies from his kind hand and to spend those, those days in his service for our joy I mean, life can be, be filled with busyness, right? And stress and monotony and fear and some bad things. But Christ sent his spirit to be with us. To be with us in our life. In our lives. To be with us so that we'd be free from the emptiness of living, the, the dread even of living that others go through their days with. All of our lives. Think about the endless opportunities and privileges that our years are filled with. It's all a resource for us. We don't, we don't have to get it all right and get it all done in one day. You know, one of, one of the great encouragements for me is, you know, I get up here and I preach, and there's a, and there's a weightiness to that. And sometimes on Monday, I'm sitting there going like, I didn't get it done. Guess what? I'm, I, by God's grace, I'm going to get another swing. My ministry isn't reduced down to one, you know, 40-minute session of preaching. There's a body of work, as it were. And so you. You don't have just one chance to parent. You don't have one chance to fix a relationship. God gives you days full of these opportunities, friends. And it's a resource. It's a rich resource. So don't let anybody tell you that, that you don't have much to work with. Don't believe Satan's lies in that way. He's given everything to us. All, all is ours, even our lives, but also our death. Our death is a resource. Jamie, can you believe that? Our death? How is that, good? How is that, a, how is that a blessing for us? Well, it's a blessing, first of all, because death is no cause for a Christian to be afraid. It is the passageway to eternal life as our salvation is made complete. There's nothing to be afraid of. Recall the Savior's words in Matthew 10, 28. Do not fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Or perhaps Paul's helpful words on this point, Philippians 1, 21. To live is Christ and to die is gain. How is it gain? It's gain because we get Jesus. We get eternal life. We get the fullness of our joy. We get our, salva- our salvation culminated. We get the rest of it. We get our inheritance that he's promised to us, that he's been keeping with his own strength through our faith. So even our death is a resource. 
Church leaders are on the banquet table of God's blessing. The world, life, and death, and even all of time, the present and the future. God gives us this present day and all of our tomorrows, as the song goes. And it culminates in the day of his return when he remakes this world for us to live with him forever. He gives us today, but he gives us the eternal day that's coming when there will no longer be night. Man, claim it all, friends, but claim it because you're united to Christ. Don't misunderstand the meal. What God gives us is grand and great and weighty and, and the breadth of it, we can't even take it all in. I mean, you, get, you even get the sense that Paul's doing his best here, right? You get it all. Um, uh, you, you get me and Apollos and, and Peter and life and death and everything in the world and uh, today and later and, you know, he's, he's doing his best. The banquet table, like it's all fallen over. Your cup is spilling over, as it were, right? A word of caution, though. These massive blessings don't mean the absence of suffering. They're given to us for our good and for our flourishing, even when trials come, and they're coming. You might be in one right now. So as we take advantage of these blessings, as we feast on them, don't make them idols. <coughs> That's what the world does, right? Latches onto one thing and makes it everything. Christ has overcome the world in his death and resurrection. He's overcome the world, the world that's full of the trials and temptations. He is enthroned over all our days and all our leaders and every aspect of our lives and all of these massive blessings he's given to the church. The Father has given all of it to the Son as Daniel prophesied. Right? One like a son of man coming to the ancient of days. That he would reign over all of the kingdoms of men forever. Right? Jesus is enthroned. He's sitting and he's reigning, friends. He's reigning over all of these blessings. But it's all God's and God bestowed it to Christ and it's also all ours. Because we're in Him. We're united to Jesus. That means we get all the blessings and inheritance that the Father gives the Son. Is that mind-blowing to you? It is to me. I don't even know how to say it in words that like carry the weight of it. It's all ours, and nothing can separate us from the love of Christ. No, we're conquerors in all things through Him who loved us. Romans 8 tells us, right? Wise men enjoy the whole banquet of God's blessings. But foolishly opposing the master and fundamentally misunderstanding the meal will keep us from enjoying those blessings. Be wise, brothers and sisters. Be wise. Examine yourself, your thinking, your approach to people and ministries and your place in this world and in this church. Don't oppose the master by thinking you know better by boasting in certain men or certain ministries. We all fall prey to this, of course. So be vigilant. Don't deceive yourself. And don't misunderstand the meal of blessings before you. Don't, 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 uh, don't just focus on one thing and think this is all there is. Your resources are vast in Jesus. Don't settle for breadcrumbs. 
when the limitless banquet of blessings is before us. Embrace it all. Use it all as you give yourself to Christ and His mission and His people. You belong to Christ. And He belongs to you. So enjoy all the blessings the Father gave Him and us. Take a few minutes of just quiet reflection over these great truths, friends.